Okay, so in 2001, a 9.1 magnitude earthquake rumbled off the coast of Japan. It was the largest earthquake ever striking Japan, fourth largest earthquake ever recorded in mo- using the modern gadgets. Uh, it produced multiple massive tsunamis that savagely struck the coast of Japan. Um, 15,891 people died, and to this day, 2,500 people are still missing. Uh, If you've seen the YouTube or Weather Channel clips of that thing, I think most of us have. Even Ty and I were watching it several months ago on Weather Channel. It's absolutely horrifying. It's horrifying to watch water literally take down buildings, buckle highways and bridges and streets, sweep through villages in Japan of little huts, and you know, because you're looking for them, it's sweeping thousands and thousands of people away. Why does this stuff happen? I mean, why? Well, the governor of Japan knew why. And he wrote, because divine retribution is why it happened for our national pride, end quote. Uh, there's a, one of America's most popular radio personalities also knew why. He says, whether you call it Gaia, which is the primal mother earth goddess, I had to look that up, or whether you call it Jesus, there's a message to be sent, and that is, hey, you know the stuff we're doing? It's not really working out real well, is it? Maybe we should stop doing it, end quote. In 2009, a 7.0 magnitude earthquake struck Haiti. Or Haiti. That's two magnitudes less in Japan. Two. And yet it destroyed and wiped out 300,000 people. And Pat Robertson, who's a popular Christian personality, radio personality, TV personality, he knew the reason why. He said, quote, because the Haitians packed with the devil is why it occurred. Uh, the pact, he said, began in the 1800s when Haiti wanted to break off from French rule and colonization, and so, quote, they said, the Haitians said, we will serve you, the devil, uh, if you will get us free from the French. And so the devil said, okay, it's a deal. And ever since, they have been cursed by one thing after another, end quote. I'm not making this stuff up. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans, leaving 1,800 dead. Several popular politically conservative Christians also knew why. Uh, They said it struck New Orleans because of New Orleans' gay pride events. It's embrace of the gay pride events. John Hagee, a representative of this group, said, I believe that New Orleans had a level of sin that was offensive to God, and they are the recipients of the judgment of God for that. End quote. Today's the 15th anniversary of 9-11. Terrorist-controlled planes strike two towers, bring the towers down. Flight 93 went down to rural Pennsylvania. Another plane hits the Pentagon. Uh, And there is a a reverend named Jerry Falwell who also knew why these events happened. Quote, I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, People for the American Way, all of them who have tried to secularize America, I point my finger in their face and I say, you are to blame. There's another natural disaster that just recently occurred, uh, the historic flooding in Louisiana. And again, people in the know, the cultural warriors, the people in the know, know why it happened. Although this one has a really ironic twist to it. And the the UK's Telegraph reports 
that American pastor Tony Perkins blames the historic flooding in Louisiana on, quote, God punishing gays. However, the pastor himself soon was driven from his own house by these gay punishing floodwaters. So when great evil strikes, right, when great evil strikes, when natural disasters strike, when great human suffering strikes, we think we know the reasons why. Don't we? We boldly wag our fingers and we say, this is divine judgment. You're to blame for this. You're the worst sinners out there. In Luke 13, Jesus says two things. Finger-waving is not new. (laughs) And stop the finger-waving. You're just being stupid and abusive. You don't know why these things happen. That's God's business, not ours. And then the last thing this text says is, you know, besides... You and I, we have a lot bigger things to worry about. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. A reading from Luke, chapter 13, verse 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it, and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. A reading from... Sorry. The word of the Lord. Y'all, please be seated. Oh, Lord, um, We ask that you would help us luxuriate in this text. We ask that you would allow the texture and the color and the multi-layers of it to sweep over us and actually impact us and give clarity to the mind, give realness to the heart. Oh, Lord, would you illuminate, shine on the page. Would you fill us with your spirit and make it real to us. Would you accomplish what the design of this passage was meant to accomplish? And we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, I got sinus stuff going on. I've taken Sudafed. It's doing all kinds of stuff to me. I thought I was going to have to run to the restroom, but I'm okay. Just to let you know. 
Okay, um, here's what's going on. If you, this, the big idea of this passage, it's easy to identify. Uh, it's found in repetition. If you look at verse 3, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, right? Look at verse 5. Unless you repent, you will all likewise, what? Perish. There's the big idea. So the design of this passage is very, very simple. The power in this passage is very, very straightforward. It's to make us repenters. It's to shape us and impact us in such a way that we become a certain kind of people. Not just we periodically do something like repent. The passage is designed to actually make you become a repenting person. And there's a difference there, as we're going to see. So I know that um, the moment I said repentance, I just lost many of you. Right? In your mind, you, you think of repentance and a hateful word comes to your mind. An angry word comes to your mind. You have images of, of like parents and encounters with Sunday school teachers and politicians and TV personalities and bosses and, and ministers who have wagged their finger at you, who have berated you. invention is. Uh, I want you to look at chapter 12 and 13 just for context. Jesus has been teaching since chapter 12, and he's been teaching on one big idea. Guess what it is? God's judgment of all the topics, right? And the, God's judgment is the time of God's ultimate cleansing, of God's ultimate rescue, of God's ultimate recovery of everything bad and everything sad in the world. It's that time when everything bad and everything sad becomes untrue. Or Jesus would say where everything sad perishes. And it's basically, you know the feeling. You know the force of this emotion. You want it. It's what 585 or no, yeah, 285 million Americans wanted on 9-11. When you watch those towers go down, those of you that are alive, and I know there are probably kids here that weren't. Everyone that was alive that was watching that watched TV for two straight days without taking a shower, just for some of you that weren't around. Literally, no one could get their eyes off the TV. And we all wanted one thing. We wanted to know who did this, and we wanted justice. Jesus has been teaching about that kind of feeling, that kind of day when everything sad and everything bad perishes. It becomes untrue. And because of him teaching on that in chapter 12, that's why verse 1 happens. That's why there were some present listening to the teaching at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. This is a current event ripped right out of the front headlines. Jesus may or may not have known about it. It was so fresh. It was around Passover, so it probably just happened. It probably could have been someone rushing up there, and it's even more electric. The atmosphere is completely electric because Galilee is Jesus' hometown. These could be people he knows. This is his 9-11. It's a personal disaster. Ancient Historians Josephus and Philo, they, they document real well. Pilate has this like sociopathic hatred for the Jews, hates them as a race, hates them as a hates their religious beliefs, hates their religious practices. And so in verse one, when you see their sacrifices, 
it points to God followers who are serious about God. And then it points to the Passover because only at the Passover did you sacrifice your own sacrifice. All other times, the temple priests did that. So the picture here is that while these God followers are sacrificing animals because they know they're sinful, the jack boots of Pilate come in and sacrifice them. And the blood of animals and the blood of humans, it's a massacre. They mingle together on the ground. <clears throat> but there's something about their report that hooks Jesus. I mean, he notes the suffering. Do you see that? He notes the suffering. He sees the evil. In Habakkuk, you know what he says about suffering and evil? He says it makes him want to throw up. So that's a real emotion in God. So beyond that, though, he wants to throw up. It makes him ill. He hates it. But there's something about the way these guys are talking about the event that hooks him. And he sees something. And this is what he says. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Jesus was hooked by something he saw in their hearts. He saw that in their hearts, they actually thought that these folks were worse sinners because they suffered this way, verse 2, which implies we are not because we didn't suffer this way. So these folks that came up to Jesus were just like Falwell and, and Tony Perkins and John Hagee and the governor of Japan and every other cultural warrior that's out there today. And you know what? They're just like us. <laughs> we think these thoughts in our hearts, we communicate this way and we treat others this way. We say things like, she's a worse sinner because she's an unwed mother and she's an addict and she's on welfare because she overdosed. And it impacts our actions. And we show no compassion for her. And no compassion for her family. We think things like, they're such bad parents. I mean, look at their kid. He's a mess up. He's mentally ill. He's so rebellious. And we distance ourselves and we withhold a relationship because it might be contagious, you know. We think things like, man, they're such great people because they're, they're dean at their school. Because she's so beautiful. Because they make lots of money and they have lots of friends. Because they have a huge church. So we admire them and we want to be their friends and we want to be like them. And Jesus will have none of it. He'll have none of it. No, verse 3. No, I tell you. No. But unless you repent, 
you likewise will perish. Jesus says no to there being worse sinners. Jesus says no to the ranking of sin and the ranking of sinners. Jesus says no to all attempts at works righteousness. And Jesus is God himself. So if you want an answer, if we want an answer to why human evil and why disasters, the answer is not because they're worse people and because they deserve it and they're worse sinners. Thus saith God. Religion says bad people perish, good people do not. Irreligion says there are no bad people. There are only good people. Jesus says good people perish. Jesus says good people perish because good people don't see their need for Jesus, because good people don't see their need for grace, because good people don't see their need to repent. Become a repenter, this passage says. Become a repenter. A repenter gets what Jesus says in verse 2. When Jesus says, we're sinners, he actually categorized everybody as a sinner, even though they meant it in terms of worse sinners. The folks that came to him didn't see themselves as sinners. And he says, we're sinners? A repenter actually believes in their experience, the doctrine of sin. Not just intellectually understands it, but experiences the doctrine of sin. So much so they say, I am the sinner. That's who I am. Become a repenter because repenters need Jesus, because repenters need grace, because repenters don't rely on their goodness and they don't rely on their badness. They rely on Jesus. Jesus is not done, though. He keeps going, and that's the way he does it. That's the way he rolls. Isn't it interesting? I think I think G, if Jesus was around today, he'd take some sort of MMA because he's always doing judo on people. They're going in one direction, and he goes, what? And he takes their feet out from under them. He brings up another current event, verse 4. Or of those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? So he's still going. Now, Josephus is an ancient Jewish historian. He said there's the oldest wall that goes around Jerusalem, goes to this place where there's this pool or this fountain called Siloam, which was near Solomon's pool. And at that place was a wall, a tower fortress, a tower at the oldest, strongest part in the wall. This is the last place you would think disaster would happen. This is the last place. I mean, everybody, if there was a disaster coming, if there was a hurricane coming in Jerusalem, there's a tornado coming in Jerusalem, everyone would go to the tower. It's the place of strength. It's the place of safety. It's this place of security. And it goes down. And so everyone has to be asking and everyone's thinking. That's an impossible place. The last place it would happen, God had to have targeted it. God targeted those 18 people. 
And Jesus says in verse 5, no. No, I tell you, no. God himself says, no. God says, no to every attempt to earn a security, every attempt to earn safety, every attempt to earn and find strength on your own. Jesus says, it can't be done. So religion says, look, if I have a good performance, I'll be safe, secure, and I'll be okay. And so religion says, I've got a good performance, so I'm safe, I'm secure. And so disaster strikes, and religion says, that's not right. And so there's only one place to vent, there's only one place to go, and that, God, you did this. I've done what I'm supposed to do. You owe me. You're indebted to me. You need to bless me. And then religion says to those that are in that system, but I got a, I got a bad performance. And disaster hits you and hits me, and, and we start blaming ourselves and beating ourselves up because we deserve it. Irreligion comes along, though, and says, look, performance, performance, performance. Who cares about performance? Performance doesn't matter. Security, safety, being okay is all about chance and dumb luck. It's all about the circle of life. It's about the survival of the fittest. It's about what kind of genes you have and your brain chemicals. And repentance says, my badness and my goodness deserves perishing. But Jesus perished in my place. So I'm a tower. I am strength. I'm secure and I'm safe. And I'm comforted and I'm confident. And Jesus himself Become a repenter, the passage says. Become a repenter who doesn't rely on their own performance to find safety and security and to be okay. Become a repenter who finds their safety, their security, their okayness in Jesus' performance. Become a repenter because repenters don't need good life situations and circumstances to be okay, to be safe and secure. Because a repenter trusts in a perishing one who perished for them, there's no more perishing. When the sun shines, you're okay. When the storm comes, you're okay. Because you don't perish. Jesus is your perishing. It continues. When I was first studying this, I thought, oh, okay, we're going to do verse 1 through 5. That's it. And then I read a coordinating conjunction in verse 6. And I thought, we have to keep going. So we're going to keep going. Verses 6 through 9 tells the story. This is Jesus' wrap-up. This is his big illustration, right? You have preachers. Well, he has two points in an illustration or a parable. Uh, This is it. This is the way he ties it all up. It's about a barren fig tree, right? And his point's real clear. Unrepenters are barren. They're barren. They're barren fig trees. There's no flourishing in their life. That means that an an unrepentant person is barren 
of the resources to find security, barren of the resources to have safety, barren of their own efforts and abilities to generate happiness and life and salvation. They're barren. But a repenter flourishes. A repenter has all the resources of Jesus' doing, dying, and rising for them. And they feed on it. And they, they feast on it. Become a repenter. How do you do that? Ah, man, now here's the, here's the hard one, right? How do you do that? This text is saying, repent, man. Repent. You have to ask how that happens. How does it happen? Jesus tells the story about how it happens. And he says, if you see a certain person in the story, you'll become a repenter. If you don't see what happens in the story, you'll remain barren. Do you see who he's talking about? There's this vine dresser, this gardener. And what does this gardener vine dresser do? He makes room in his garden for a barren fig tree. He has mercy on a barren fig tree. The most economical thing to do is to rip that thing out because it's taking all the nourishments away from more productive fig trees. And he says, I'm going to do this for a year. I'm going to tend to this tree for a year. I'm going to dig around it, and I'm going to fertilize it, and I'm going to give it my special treatment, and I'm going to go down to the roots where repentance really takes root. Of course, Jesus is the master gardener who's massive in mercy, who makes room for you and for me in his garden. And when you get that you're, you're barren and Jesus in his mercy makes room for you in his garden, you repent. You say, I, I want you. I don't want to trust in me anymore. I don't want false hopes and securities anymore. I want you. Well, we want to be a church that makes room for others, right? You want to be a family that makes room for others. You want to be friends that make room for others. You want to be workers that make room for others. We want to be a church that makes room for others. We want to be a church that makes room for others to experience Jesus and his salvation. <clears throat> Here comes the sign of stuff. Always at the wrong time. Did God do that? Sorry. <clears throat> if he did, I'm in trouble, right? We want to make room as a church, but hear me, please hear me. It's impossible. We can't. You know why? Because we will only make room for ourselves. That's how we're wired. That's how we're bent. That's when our DNA, that's deep in our bones. 
we will only make room for our own comfort. We will only make room for our own preferences. We will only make room for our own budget. We will only make room for our own leaders. We will only make room for the kind of people we like. We will only make room for us. Unless, unless together, corporately, we see this massive mercy of a gardener who makes room for us. Now, we'll make room for others. And that's the only way. Otherwise, you'll be a religious person. You might make room because you're going to make a deal with God to get blessed or to keep disaster away. Or you'll be a relativist and think, who cares? This week we'll make room. Next week we'll kick them out. Only mercy leads us to become repentance. I think an apostle said that too. 